We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 6 today. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, I'd always, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles to church if you have them, or your phones. I'm okay with a Bible app. Uh, I just want you in the Word. I want you to follow along with me. But if you don't have one, and you would like a Bible, there are uh, blue Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can take them home as your very own, and uh, we, we, will, we would love to give you that as a gift. I'm actually going to... I don't know if I have... Yes, I do. I got the clicker here. Uh, can you guys read that? Yeah, okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask that everybody stand, and we're going to read this passage together on the count of three, okay? So maybe just cut my mic out for this one, okay? One, two, three. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the reading of God's word. You can take a seat. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we're here today, and we pray that as we open up your word, uh, you would help us understand it accurately, and uh, your Holy Spirit would actually show us where it applies to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'd like to do today, uh, just so you know, is uh, I want to do two things. And so this is kind of, uh, you can kind of think of it as two mini-sermons packed into one, and you might be thinking, great, this means we're going to be here for two hours. But the, no, it's tr- not true. I, I'm going to try and just kind of, I'm going to unpack two things for you. I want to do a little bit of review, and I want to talk about the first and second blessing that we see in this passage. And the reason that I want to do that is because uh, this passage is actually very, very, very complicated. Verses 3, chapter, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 16 uh, is, one, is one of the most, because of the grammar, because of the way that it's articulated, because of the, the content and the sheer uh, meatiness of what is being said, most preachers have a difficult time with this out of all the New Testament uh, verses to preach on. Not because it's hard to hear or because it's difficult, it's offensive or any way, it's, it's just because there's a lot in there. And the way that you and I, the way that it's translated in English kind of misses a little bit of the mark. So I want to make sure, here, here's why I want to spend some time reviewing it, okay? Um, I just don't want to throw a bunch of information at you. I want to make sure that you understand and really unpack what it is that God has for you in verses 3 to 16, or sorry, 15 for you today. Okay? So that means is that we're going to have to take some time to really slow down and make sure that we understand it and make sure that we go forward uh, with it. So just by way of review, that's what we're going to do, and then I'm going to go on and talk about uh, a little bit more. So you'll recall that if you're new here, we uh, are going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, uh, my be- and the reason that I feel like we're going through the book of Ephesians is that my best guess is that in the coming years, the number one most frequent crisis that people living in rural Alberta will face will be a crisis 
of identity. And I think that will primarily come through a loss of health and a loss of work. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end. But I believe that the gospel can speak to that issue. That Ephesians really is a relevant book for the time that we live as it shows how the message of Jesus, how the cross works on such a critical issue in our hearts. So just so to recap, the book of Ephesians is divided neatly into two parts. And what did I say those two parts? What's the easiest way to remember it? The? The the who and the do. Thank you, young people. Somebody's listening to me. (laughs) Okay. Is the first three chapters talk about a lot about our position in Christ? It's a lot of theology. It's a it's a lot of concept. It's a lot of um, abstract thinking. It's a lot of just understanding your position in Christ. And the idea is is that you understand where your position is Christ, who you are in Christ, the blessings that you have in Christ, and then out of that 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 actually dictates how you are to live and how you are to act. So the who and the do. So chapter one through three talks about who you are. Chapter four, five, and six talk about how you should act because of who you are. Okay? And so last week, I, I remember talking about this uh, uh, with you, is I, we looked at chapter one, and I kind of gave just a brief overview of chapter one. And I said that uh, chapter one has 23 verses, and in it, the best way to understand what you're reading is that it's divided into two parts. It's the first part, verses 3, all the way to 14, is uh, about praise. It's a, so the best way to, to, to understand what you're reading all the way down to 14 is that you're, think of someone who's worshiping God in church. Right? It's praise, he's praising God. The last half of it is prayer, right? So, praise, prayer. Everyone say it with me. Praise, prayer. Okay. So that I'm just I just want to help you understand what exactly you're reading in the first chapter because if you just read it all the way through like you would read a normal book, it's easy to get lost in what is actually going on because it's so heavy. So we talked about that. We talked about how uh, the last half is prayer, but I also made a mention that uh, verses uh, three to fourteen are extremely complicated because there's no actual pause in all those verses. So when you read it, and you read it in your English Bible, you'll notice that there are commas and punctuation marks and periods. And the idea there is is that the English translators, when they were translating over, put it there to help you understand what is being said. But initially, there is no punctuation there. That's the longest verse in the New Testament, or the longest sentence in the New Testament. And so that actually changes the way you read it just a little bit because because what I am about to say is that the lack of punctuation by most scholars is agreed upon is that Paul is trying to communicate something to you and that is that Paul is enthusiastic, right? It's kind of this emotional outburst of praise. So so the best way to read it would be to picture... uh, to picture an overly emotional friend, and we all have them in church, who raises their hand and they're swaying back and forth, praise Jesus, and you're secretly judging them because they look all showy, okay? 
But the way that I would encourage you to read verses 3 to 14 is you've got to read it with your head, obviously, but you actually have to read it with your heart. Let me, let me just unpack this real quickly for you, is that the best way to read your Bibles is to read what was written in the intention that the author originally created it to be. So that's the hardest part about uh, Bible reading, is you've got to figure out what that is. So the lack of punctuation actually means that this is not something that you would read as an academic paper and a logical thing. You read it with heart, right? You, read, so you kind of read it as somebody uh, who, who is who's praising Jesus. So the best way to read the Bible uh, in this passage is to read it like this. Uh, and this is all just review. We haven't gotten the text yet, but I, I need you to understand why it's there. In terms of understanding what you're reading, this is the most difficult passage uh, to unpack for the reason that there is no punctuation, right? And I want you to understand, so, and I want you to understand that it's really just emotional kind of praising Jesus. And basically, the be- best way to understand it is from him to go to, to read it like this, is guys, let's bless the God who blesses us. And I can't, I'm so grateful for all the blessings of God that I can't actually take a breath. Listen, the best way is to just say, God, you are good, you're awesome, you've blessed us in the heavenly realms, you've given us all this uh, forgiveness, you've adopted us, and God, you are so amazing. That's the way you come, ac- come across and read it today. Now, the question that I have for you today is, um, I was rereading it like that, and I started asking the question, why would you start a letter out that way? Okay. This is a letter uh, written to a church, and so you'd think it would be instructional, and it is instructional, but why would you start out with an emotional outburst of praise to God? Like, what is the point? And why does it matter, you and I today? Uh, and what, what, is, what is the heart behind it? Because um, I think when you read it, you, you kind of like read it over and you kind of say, I'm blessed and I'm thankful for that. But then you just kind of move on to the next thing. But I actually think if we do that, we miss an important truth. And that is this, is that celebrating... Out, man, my spelling is awful. How am I even looking at it? I'm going on. Listen, here's here's what I'm trying to say here. The reason that it starts out with a with a celebration of praise is that celebrating our blessings lifts our focus out of our grief. Let me say that again, because I think you need to understand and unpack that and really weigh on that for a minute. Celebrating our blessings in Christ lifts our focus off our temporary grief. Where was Paul when he wrote this? He was prison. He's actually writing from a place of grief. It's almost like he was writing this from a time when he's in jail, which would have been a frustrating time and it would have been a maddening time. And it would have been a helpless time. And in those days, jails were nothing to sneeze about. If you compare our jail system to theirs, it would actually feel like a little bit of a cakewalk. There, you would, in some of those jails, not in every single one, but the condition would be pretty bad. You would be stuffed in one room with multiple offenders. There's no sanitary conditions. And you actually have to go get your own food. 
Okay, you're responsible for that. So you actually had to have outsider friends come in and give you the food and all that kind of thing. So this is a letter. This is what I want you to understand. This is a letter written to a church whose senior pastor is in jail. And I don't know about you, but if I got arrested right now and I was writing a letter, I would not start out the letter this way. Here's how the letter would go. Day one, dear manor, this place sucks. Okay, dear Manor, day two, I stepped in somebody's poo today. Day three, my food fell in the urine. Get me out of here, <laughs> okay? And on and on and on it would go. Yet and Paul does not write the letter like this. He writes from a place of celebration in the midst of a place of grief and darkness. And here's what I want you to catch very clearly is that the reason that he starts out the letter like this is he wants the church at Ephesus to spend time thinking and knowing and remembering the spiritual riches and blessings that they have in Christ Jesus. Okay? He wants them to get to the place where we are allowing our, our, their mind to really get into and dig in and focus and look at the blessings from every single angle. And because it matters to us, because here's what I'm going to tell you, what you renew your mind on matters. Okay? And I believe that if we really took the time to meditate on our spiritual blessings if we took the time to read it and we took the time to contemplate its meaning and we look up the words and then we read them again, that the next day we will actually experience a lifting of the focus that we currently have on all the temporary grief in the world. I believe that if we truly meditate on um, the truth of Scripture, the truest thing in our world, and nothing else is more true than Scripture, I believe that it will be able to change your focus and your attitude in a time of suffering. And I don't know about you, but I am actually sick and tired of lamenting all the bad news that's happened in the last two years. Can I hear an amen on that? Right. It's been bad news after bad news after bad news after angry protest after a world crisis, after this, after this, and I'm sick of it. I want to celebrate and I want to praise and I want to walk in the hope that God has for us. I want to do what Isaiah 61 talks about and, have, and exchange the heaviness of this world and put on a garment of spirit and praise and where we can start about thinking of our better riches in the world and the blessings I have in Christ and that it's going to be okay. You need to understand something. We become what we celebrate. And if you celebrate all the stuff that goes wrong and all the stuff, you're going to have this defeatist attitude. You're going to have your mind cultivated towards the world and how the world thinks. And right now, the world is in a pretty dark and angry place, isn't it? Everyone's complaining about everything. Everyone's mad about everything. And yet, even despite all our problems, we live the best kind of lifestyle out of everyone who has ever lived in the existence of the planet. What do we have to be angry about? When we take our focus 
off of the spiritual blessings and onto the material blessings. We, be, we, we change our thinking, and I think what is going on here is that the reason that he's spending so much time and communicating that this is, that he's so praiseworthy and all this kind of thing, he's, he's praising God is because he wants the church to remember how important it is to celebrate our riches in Christ. You need to understand very clearly that there are real consequences when we don't celebrate and praise God for his, his blessings. The road to spiritual darkness begins when you and I fail to give thought to the fact that we're blessed. Let me say that again. The road to spiritual darkness begins when we fail to remember the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Remember a couple of weeks, Kevin, Kevin talked about that, right? He said that when you are faced with a crisis, there are two things. You either, you either pray or you complain, right? And that complaining actually sucks the life out of you. You need to understand that two things will happen to you if you forget to praise God for your blessings that he is giving you. Number one, you will act defeated. You'll feel that you can't break free from your sin. A lot of the blessings that we are going to read about and talk about talk about the idea that you are set free in Christ, that he has forgiven you of your sin, and yet somehow I know that there are some people in this room right now, you have that one habitual sin in your life that you can't kick. And you've been trying harder and harder and harder to do it. And eventually, here's what's happening to you is you're just, you've eventually given into it, not because you like it, but because you've given up hope that you can fight the addiction of that food addiction, or you can stop being, uh, you know, you, can, you, you, you stop grumbling or complaining, or whatever it is. There's just something that you're doing that you can't uh, kick, and you've just kind of given into it because you feel like there's no hope, and yet the blessings of Christ remind you that he's been forgiven and that there's victory in Christ. And if you forget that, I believe that you're just going to continue in in your sin because you don't feel like you can get past it. Okay? The other option is that you will feel that you will lack something, right? Like everyone else gets better things from God than you. We talked about that last week. And that there's something in your spiritual life that you're missing. And yet you need to understand that every single thing needed for holiness and blamelessness was given to you. And so if you do not practice that, you are going to miss out very, very closely in that. And now I want you to understand this. You need to practice the discipline of celebration and meditating on the things that God has given you. That song that we sing, Blessed Be Your Name, I don't think there's a more timely song. Blessed be the name of the Lord in the land of the suffering. Right? You give and take away, blessed be your name. Okay? And I believe that in your darkest hour, when, you, when your circumstance feels like you're in a situation like Paul's where you are in imprisonment, the best thing that you can do is praise God so loud and so much that you can't take a breath and you are otherwise so overcome by his goodness that it just kind of spills out. 
you know, and if you want a really good example of that, I invite you to turn to, I think it's Acts verse 15, or chapter 15 or 16, where the, where the apostles are in prison, and what do they start doing when they are in prison? They start singing the praises of God. And what happens in that story is that the, the earth shakes and the gates open, and that people come to know Jesus because of that. And I want to say to you that if you want to glorify God in a time of suffering, you need to practice celebrating the goodness of God. And so here's what I would do. I would take your favorite hymnal, your favorite CD, your favorite Spotify playlist, whatever, and you, and you jack it up as loud as you can, and you praise God in the moments that really, really, really suck where it feels like you're lying when you're praising God. You know what I mean by that? Is one minute you're saying, God, you're good, you're good, you're good, but inside you feel like the circumstances are making you feel otherwise. I'm going to tell you that in that moment, that's when you should be praising God the most. And it feels wrong. It feels, it, it, it feels artificial. It feels like you're trying to fake it. But here's what I'm going to tell you to do. It, it doesn't feel natural, but you are not called to live a natural life. You're called to live a supernatural life. And part of that is remembering and celebrating the blessings that we have in Christ in times when there's grief, in times where there's suffering. And so I think you need to do... Here's just a a really... It's a silly example. You're going to laugh at me, okay? So I don't don't know how many of you feel... um, How many of you feel a little bit depressed or... When the when when the clouds are when the skies gray out, right? You just feel a little bit down. Okay, yeah, I feel a lot better when it's sunny out. So this morning I woke up and I was like, I'm gonna get ready for church. Yeah, and I looked outside and it was gray. All right, and I'm and I could just feel the emotion just kind of go down like that. It's like, man, everything's gonna be like super chill and quiet today, and I feel like uh, I feel a little bit low today. And what am I gonna do? So. I'm, this is funny. I'm gonna. Please don't laugh at me. <laughs> okay. What I did was I got in the car and come to church this morning, and I started playing worship music. And there's this song I like. It's it's uh, Your Love, O Lord, and it's based out of Psalms 36. I did. And I started playing it right as I hit Donna Val's house. Okay. And so I'm coming, and I'm like, oh, this is great. I, I'm, it's making me focus on the Lord. And I pull up to the church building, and I'm like, and I'm just like singing in the car, right? And I'm like, I'm not done, but I don't want people in church to think I'm a weirdo. So I turned the car around, and I drove all the way to Dallas's house until the song was over. (laughs) And I drove all the way back just so I could praise the Lord just a little bit longer. And you know what? My attitude changed. It took the focus off what was going on. You need to celebrate the blessings that you have in Christ. And so I hope you understand a little bit about the problem that I have this morning to you is because verses three is how do I communicate, how do I get you to celebrate what God has given you? And there are two ways that I think I could do it. Number one, I, is I could list all the blessings all at once, right? So I could go through three to 14 and say, this is your blessing, that you're adopted, that you're forgiven, that you begin all wisdom and, and glory, that you know, all, all those kind of things. There's redemption and all, and I could just kind of move on to the next thing or I could take it a chunk at a time. And I'm trying to figure out All week, I've been trying to figure out what's the best way to help you meditate on exactly the best gifts that God has given you. And so I don't know if this is the right call or not, but I'm just going to do it a chunk of the time. And so today, so that is all review, okay? Now you're ready for the message. (laughs) 
today, what I want you to do today is, is that I want you to take some time to celebrate that you are blessed because in Christ, God chose to adopt you as his holy child. Let me say that again because it's a mouthful. I want you to take some time to celebrate that you are blessed because in Christ, God chose to adopt you as his holy child. That, I believe, is the main thrust between, between our, from our passage this morning. That is what it is trying to get at. Let me read it to you again so you can understand where it is I'm coming from. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? holy and blameless before him. In love, he, he being God, predestined us for adoption to himself as the sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given us in the beloved. I believe that one of the first, the two blessings that stick out of this passage right at the beginning is number one, God has made you holy and blameless, and second, that he has blessed you with adoption. Now let me talk about that, and let me, I want to have some thoughts on that as we go about. So the first thought I have is this, is that it's only by trusting in Jesus that you received his best blessing and his best favor. Let me explain what I mean by that. You'll notice that in this passage from verses 3 all the way to 14, the phrase in him pops up a lot of time, lots of times. And it comes and goes quite a bit, actually, throughout the whole text. And what you need to understand is when you read the phrase in him, it's not always referring to the same person. In him sometimes refers to God the Father, sometimes in him refers to Jesus Christ. So when it says, so it's, it's really, I know you're going to hate this, but it's important to get your pronouns right, okay? In this case, please, you know, forget the gender stuff. For We're talking about scripture. In this case, the pronouns matter. So listen, in, the pro, in, the, in here, the pronouns matter. And in him is referring to Jesus Christ, okay? It, it typically means this. This it can it's, and it can be easy uh, to miss that, but you need to understand that in order to understand what is going on. So let me break it down a little bit further and says that the blessings are in who Christ, right? So what does it mean by the word in? What do we mean by when we say in Christ you are blessed or in Christ you are forgiven or in Christ? Well, it typically means this. When we talk about the word in, we typically mean that something is enclosed or surrounded by something else. So when you read Ephesians and you see the phrase in Christ or in him, uh, what does that mean? Well, it means that the blessings and the favor and the gifts that God gives are surrounded and enclosed in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, in order to get the blessing, and, the, and all the amazing stuff that God has to offer, you can only get it if you come to a place where you trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not everybody has these spiritual blessings. Only the people who believe in Jesus Christ do. So here's what I'm going to say. If you're here today and you've been checking out Jesus and you're not really sure where you stand on this, 
I need to understand that when you come to Christ, all these things are afforded to you, but they're not afforded to you before. Okay? You actually have to believe in him in order for the forgiveness to, have, to, to merit any sort of blessing from the forgiveness. Secondly, he chose you to be holy and blameless. Listen to what he says here. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be homeless, or not homeless. <laughs> Man, I'm not having a great day today. He, to be holy and blameless before him. So I need you to understand that that is the first part of your blessing. So remember last week I told you that Jesus gave you his best gifts, right? That God is not withholding his best from you, and all those things are rooted in Christ. And the very first thing I need you to understand is that the first blessing that God has given you is that you are holy and blameless. So here's how this works. Jesus is holy and he is without sin. And God becomes a man and lives without any sin, and we are unholy, and Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies in our place for his sins, and he trades places with us, so that his, by his condemnation we have salvation. Everybody knows that, right? Smile and nod, you've heard that a, a thousand times in church? Okay. So here's what he does, is that Jesus takes uh, upon himself all our unholiness, and he places upon all of us his holiness. So we just kind of switch places, okay? So God takes all, Jesus takes all our unholiness, and in its place, he gives us his holiness because he's positionally holy in Christ. You, and here's what I need you to understand, is that what this doesn't mean is that you're, you're not perfect, but you need to see Christ as your perfection, Okay? You don't need, you, you can't live a perfect life, but Christ has already lived a perfect life in your place. And now you are in Christ, you are enclosed in Christ. And now you're in a place where you are positionally holy and blameless. God sees you in the place of Christ, and out of your positional holiness, you can live practical holiness. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, Please, please, please nod if, I haven't, if you're with me and I haven't lost you yet, okay? okay? All I'm trying to say is because Jesus switched places with you, his holiness is now imparted to you, and because you were in a place of positional holiness, you can act holy. Remember what I said, the who and the do? So let me explain this real quick for you. So let's say you're a teenager and your identity is found in the fact that you're a teenager. Well, if you find your identity in the fact that you're a teenager, you're probably going to do stuff that teenagers do, which is rebel against your parents, uh, because that's what teenagers do. Or if you're, but if you're a teenager in Christ who made you holy, you're, and you're someone who is completed in the love of Christ, you're going to act as a holy teenager for Christ. Or let's say you're a college student. If your identity is, I'm a college student, then you're probably going to get drunk and break commandments and act foolishly because that's what college students do, right? It's an extended adolescence. It's really, and you're going to, meet, you're going to minor in failing all the days of your young adult life. But if you are a college student in Christ, 
then you and I are positionally holy and you can live differently because of that. Similarly, if you are someone who's single and your identity is in your singleness, you're probably going to go fornicate and cohabitate and all other kinds of aids because you're going to do the things that you shouldn't because that's what single people do. But if you're a single person in Jesus Christ and you are positionally holy, you, you, you get to the point where you say, I... I want to live differently, and I want to live in a way that it's holy. And lastly, similarly, if you are someone who is married, but you reach your midlife crisis, you get a free what? I just said it. I ruined it. Okay. Usually, you get a, you're in a, point, a position of midlife crisis. So you start freaking out. And so you go get the car and you get a couple new girlfriends or boyfriends or maybe a combination thereof. And if your identity is in the fact that it's, you're in your midlife instead of Christ, you're going to give yourself permission to commit all kinds of sins. But if you realize your identity is in Christ and not your age, you, that changes things. Is that because you are positionally holy in Christ, this means I can be practically holy in Christ. I will not do what others do because I'm not who others say I, I am. You understand that? I will not do what other people do because I am not what other people say I am. I am in Christ. Because of who you are, that changes what you do. The who and the do. If you come to the place in your life where you believe in Jesus you are positionally holy and you are blameless and he has made you holy and I want to live, what winds up happening is you and I live in a holy way. You're no longer bound to the sin. Do you know what this means? That means that you do not have to be defined by that habitual sin that you can't break. And that you do not have to be defined by that one mistake you made that just haunts your life and you can never forgive yourself for. You are positionally holy because of Jesus Christ. Everyone smile, nod, so I know that you get it. Okay, moving on. I want you to understand, too, that you are adopted. He adopted you. In the last half of, uh, it says this in, in verse 5, it says that, in love, and I want you to circle that word in love because I'm going to get back to it, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that God has adopted us, and I think it's really important that you and I understand how adoption is viewed in the time that this is written versus the, now it is, is written, because those are two different concepts. In the day that this was written, very rich people who had a considerable amount of land holdings or a vibrant business may have found themselves in situations without an heir to the fortune. And for whatever reason, they had no son that could take over after the death. And in those days, what would happen is that the son would be the the, the avenue at which all the family wealth and all the inheritance would go through. And so what would happen is that a rich man who had no heir would go and look at someone else's family and adopt their son as their own and train to reign them up as the business, 
as the business, uh, as the heir of the business. And that's a little bit different than how you and I view it today, right? Because you and I view adoption is there's somebody without a child or without parents who then gets a child. But in this case, in the time it was written, it's very much that this is someone who has, who has parents who has now got different parents. And here's what I want to say about this, is that when you, when you read through Ephesians, it's going to come out and say that by nature, we are children of, please say it with me, wrath. wrath. Okay, So your spiritual parenthood before Christ was actually one of darkness and wrath. You were enemies of Christ. And so what happens is that Jesus comes in, and he's kind of like the big brother, and he comes in and God adopts you into his family so that you can co-heir and reign with Christ. All believers, and I'm going to get to this later when we get to it, uh, this passage, are destined to rule and reign with Christ. So think Narnia, okay? So in Narnia, you know, there's that... um, how many of you, first of all, is that analogy work? How many of you know Narnia? Okay. Now, Narnia is a fantasy, fantasy book. But in the book, there's King Aslan who rules over all the land. And in the end of the book, there's four kings who rule the land with him, right? Asmund, who are they? <laughs> Lucy. I'm going to go watch the movie when I get home today. <laughs> yeah. All, you are adopted. In, in, so, so, sorry, to get back to what we were saying. When we talk about adoption, that's what we're talking about, is that you are adopted from one family into another so that you can rule and reign and inherit the riches of Christ Jesus. More than 14 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father, but it is always referred as a nationally, never individually. But when you get to the New Testament, especially when Jesus prays, more than 60 times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as his Father. And he teaches us to refer to God as his Father. And some of you uh, were told that maybe that you grew up and that God was some sort of spiritual force. He's not a force. He's a Father that loves you. You have been adopted into his family and here's where, and you might be saying, Dan, what's the benefit of that? Listen, uh, the benefit of that is that you have a place of permanence. Hear this out. The difference between a foster family and adoption family is that when you are in a foster family, you're not really sure how long you're staying there. But when you were adopted, you have someone who's going to call you your own, who's going to give you their last name, who's going to treat you as if you're part of the family. And you know what? I think that that is so cool because families, I think our homes, should be places of refuge. Should they not? Right? They should. You have a bad day at work or your boss is really mad at you or Colton makes a mistake on the job site or whatever it is. You come home and there's your spouse and your children and your dog that poops and pees all the way that loves you, right? In the same way, whenever you are tried and true in, in this life and you are going through suffering, you have, you have a God who has made you a part of his family and you will never, ever have to worry about getting kicked out of that family. He never loses one of his sheep. Amen? He's got a place of permanence for you, and he chose to adopt you before the foundation of the world. That's a blessing. 
<clears throat> Lastly, I want to, as, as, as we uh, tie up the, the service today, I want to I let you know that he chose to bless you because he likes you. Right? Read with me the last half of verse 5. It says this. It says, it says uh, <clears throat> in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You'll notice that if you have a different translation, the NIV, the Greek, some, uh, some translations will translate that word purpose, pleasure, to the pleasure of his will. Here's what I need you to understand, is that God didn't save you reluctantly. He did it with enthusiasm. He absolutely loves taking the broken things of this world, the children of wrath, and adopting them as sons and daughters into the life. He actually saved you because he likes you, and it brought a smile to his face. He enjoys the fact that you're saved. I was here in Sunday school. I was upstairs with Tim, just getting ready for church, and I just remember overhearing somebody comment. I, I can't remember who, but just kind of the question, why would God save me? Why would I do it? First five answers that, because it gives him pleasure. Because he likes it. God did not save you reluctantly. And because of that, I need you to understand that he delights that you're his child. Someone say an amen. Amen. Listen, as we close today, I need you to hear this big idea one more time. Because there's a lot in the text. Please take some time this week to celebrate that you are blessed. Because in Christ, God chose to adopt you as his holy child. Do you know, um, do you know that the identity thing, why I, I chose to do Ephesians and why the, the identity thing is such a big thing that we're focusing on? Because I believe that it is an urgent issue in rural Alberta. And rural Alberta will, if it hasn't already, begin to face an identity crisis of sorts. And I'm not even talking about the gender identity or all the social stuff or the wokeism. Let's just forget that that stuff even exists for a minute. And let's just focus on rural Alberta for a minute. I believe that this is an issue that is a big paramount problem here. And, it's and, it's, and the reason I think that is because... it. What is going to happen is that a loss of good health will result in a loss of work and a loss of memory. Let me explain what I mean as we close up. Last week, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I have a chance to meet with all the pastors in Three Hills. We come together once a month and we pray. And last week, the, the chaplaincy director for this area of AHS came and he, he kind of shared with us how we can get involved in the hospitals. And basically, he said that there are three options. You can come in as, as a visitor and visit your, the people that are sick. Number two, you can be put on a list of people who uh, the hospital can call if they are in a crisis. And number three, you can help run a service, right? And so we talked about that second one for a minute, and he said, when people in the Three Hills Hospital call for a pastor to come and talk to them. 
because they are in a crisis of health, like they lost their health and now they're not a now they're not in a position of work. One of the most frequent, I shouldn't say it's the, it's the most popular because I don't know that for sure, but one of the most frequent issues that is brought up is this, is that I'm sick and I can't work the land anymore. Who am I? Can you resonate with that? Right. And so what has happened is, is that here in rural Alberta, People have mistakenly found their identity in their work, right? And when their health and when their worth collapse under the pressure that they placed on it, so goes their identity. And so when they're in the hospital and they get some sickness, that means that they can't do their job anymore. They can't take care of the land. The very first thing they do is they call the pastor and say, I don't know who I am anymore. People are in a crisis. So first of all, I would say that people are in a crisis because the loss of health means that they lose their ability to work and therefore they lose their worth. The second is that I think people lose their memory. How many of you are familiar with the medical condition of dementia? Dementia, according to the CDC website, is a general term for impaired ability the impaired ability to remember, think, and make decisions that interferes with everyday activities. Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia. Though dementia often affects older adults, it's not a normal part of aging. And so uh, I don't know if you heard this or not, but AHAS came out with a study, it was on Global News last week, saying that uh, the, there will be a wave or a, I don't, uh, a surge of cases of dementia in the next coming years, and that most of them will be occurring in rural Alberta as the population of rural Alberta gets older. So you see why this is an issue? Can you remember having a medical disease where you can't remember who you are? So on one hand, you have a bunch of rural Albertans who've placed their identity in the work, and then on the other hand, you have a bunch of rural Albertans who you can't remember who they are anymore, and the gospel can speak into that. Isn't that true? Is that you might lose your job, you might lose your health, you might lose everything that you will spend your life to attain, but Christ will never lose you. That forever, whether you are in good health or bad health, whether you have a job or don't have a job, you have worth and value and holiness and you are a child in him. Can you see why this is relevant? Okay. Please remember to celebrate the blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come uh, today, would you help us remember that we are spiritually blessed with the very best gifts that you have ever given us. Sometimes I can lose focus of that, God. And as we go throughout our day-to-day and we enjoy our material blessings, our relationships, our home, our health, our work, would you help us to remember that our very blessed blessings are in the fact that we are holy and blameless and that we are adopted as children into you. And the whole church said, Amen.